0: Canaan. it's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome, where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. For the, to honor the reading of God's word this morning, we're in Matthew chapter 25. It reads this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Well, God, we um, just sang, uh, come thou fount, come thou king. Come, our precious prince of peace. And you promised before you went to the cross and rose and left this earth that you were going to prepare a place for us and that you were coming back for us. God, to always be ready for you to come, to not to get distracted, to not get discouraged, to not uh, think you're being slow as comes some count slowness, but to be ready for you to be ready for you in our hearts and our souls and to long for your coming. So God, would you stir in us a longing for you? God, would you awaken in us a desire to see your kingdom come? God, a a tangible longing for you. And if you will, take a moment and pray for yourselves that God would speak to you and teach you this morning. And if you'd be so kind, uh, pray for me that I would speak clearly and be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you, and we trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in fifth grade, sixth grade on through high school, I was involved in Boy Scouts. And one of my first trips to summer camp at Camp Billy Gibbons in West Texas, I had a great idea. Um, I was going to two buzz my entire head and not wear the sunscreen or the floppy hat that my parents had sent me with. It was a flawless plan. I wouldn't have to fix my hair. It was going to be great. And then on top of that really great idea, I also think that was the year I took swimming, and life-saving, and canoeing, and rowing. So barely any hair. I don't know if you've noticed the amount of pastiness that is me. Um, No sunscreen, no hat, and just out on the water all day. Well, by the end of the first day, I was very well done, and uh, had a peeling scalp for weeks, and I was roasted. Why did I tell you that? Because sixth grade Justin was not ready to endure the Texas summer sun. He wasn't ready to face the summer sun. Uh, and in Texas, uh, West Texas, especially we, what we call trees, most of the world calls bushes, and there's nowhere to hide. And you just bake and bake, I did. And this morning, uh, what we're going to see is we're going to see two sets of people. We're going to see one set of people who are ready to face and ready to welcome in the bridegroom. And we're going to see another set of people called foolish who who aren't. Uh, and the big thought for the day, what we really see Jesus getting at, what he wants for his people, what he wants for his disciples, is that Jesus wants us to always be ready for his return. Uh, that's the that's the big idea, that Jesus wants us to always be ready for his return. So where we're going to go is we're going to look at the parable, and then we're going to talk about what's the point of the parable, and then we're going to have some closing Implications. So, like I read this morning, we're in Matthew chapter 25 looking at the parable and the 10 virgins. And as Pastor Daniel pointed out a couple weeks ago, uh, parable just comes from the Greek word parabolo. Para, uh, the uh, Greek preposition for uh, with or alongside. And balo, the Greek verb for throw or to cast. And so, when you put para next to balo, you get uh, thrown alongside or cast. With. And that's what parables are. Uh, we're in chapter 25, and in chapter 24 of Matthew, Jesus is, is giving information to his disciples about the return of the Son of Man. So he's giving them information, and now he's giving them illustrations alongside of these informations. He's throwing these parables alongside of his teaching. And this morning in the parable of the ten virgins, we see Jesus telling his 12 disciples to always be ready for his return. Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So the picture is out of a Jewish wedding. Uh, So in Jewish culture, a man would leave his father's house and travel to wherever his uh, bride lived and travel to his father's house, and he would pay the dowry, he would do whatever he needed to do, and then he would purchase her, uh, which is a picture of what Jesus did. He came and bought us on the cross, and then he would take his bride back to his father's house. And his family and their friends would be waiting there for this big celebration wedding feast and so the bridegroom has left to go get his bride and he's coming back and we've got these 10 virgins who were hanging out uh, waiting for the bride and the bridegroom to return now virgins are essentially bridesmaids of the day that's the closest equivalent we've got and they all have little lamps that look like this so uh oh yeah we'll get to that uh my bad team On the left, they've got a wick uh, that burns, and then on the right, they've got a handle, and then on the inside, uh, they've got a hole where the oil for the lamp would hold. And what we find out about these uh, virgins is there's uh, five wise and there's five that are foolish because they've all got a little lamp like this, and we're told that the wise have extra oil and the foolish do not. At Kelsey and I's wedding... Uh, when we left for the big send-off, we all had sparklers because we were in the woods and fire and woods don't tend to work out super well. And we've been at a lot of weddings that the send-off, they have sparklers and sparkle and they're really fun. But the trick with sparklers is to make sure that you light it at the right time because you don't want it to fizzle out before the bride and the groom uh, pass by you. And you don't want to light it too late because then they pass by you and then you're just standing there with a stick. If you're like me, you just grab five or six of them, even though they tell you to grab one so that you can just light one after the other and not have to worry about when they're gonna exit. We've all been to weddings or we've heard of weddings where they do the sparkler thing and you wanna light the sparkler at the right time for the exit of the bride and the groom. And what's going on here is the virgins have these lamps and they wanna make sure they're lit at the right time for the arrival of the bride and the groom. But what we find out is the bridegroom is delayed. We're not told why. We're not told where. We're not told for how long. We're just told that he is. And the first five closes saying, they all became drowsy and slept. After waiting for a while and the appetizers and the carbs set in from happy hour, they all begin to doze as pictures take too long yet again. One of you's been to a wedding lately. And then we get to verse six. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. So a voice cries out in the middle of the night, the bridegroom's close. And so all the virgins, all 10 of them get up, and all 10 of them, they trim their little wick on the end, and then they, um, they get up to get their lamps and get ready to welcome in the bridegroom. And then the foolish virgins realize that they're fools, that they're not prepared. They wake up, they trim their lamp, and all of a sudden they realize that they don't have any extra oil. And the wise virgins pull out their little extra Boy Scout always prepared flask and dump it into their lantern and then it can keep burning. So the foolish virgins turn to the wise ones like, "Hey, do you got you got any extra? Like, you do you have some to share?" It's a fair question. And the wise virgins go, "No. We only brought enough for us." And so if we split half of it with us and half of it with you, like neither of our lanterns will burn. So what you need to do is you just need to leave and go into town and find the oil dealer who probably isn't open at midnight, and go buy some oil, wake him up, get some oil, and then come back and we'll all be inside whenever you get here. And so the foolish virgins leave to go get fuel for their lamps. And we get verse 10. And while they, the foolish ones, were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us But he, the bridegroom, answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Those who are ready get welcomed into the feast. Those who are not get shut out in the darkness. And then the bridegroom responds with something that was incredibly similar uh, to what we've already read in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, we see Jesus say this. The wise virgins were ready for the bridegroom. The foolish ones were not. And then Jesus, who is the bridegroom of his church, the bride, rewards each of them according to their readiness. To the wise, Jesus welcomes into his kingdom and welcomes into his feast. To the foolish, they get shut out in darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. the story's over. That's it. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them this, watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. That's the parable. So what's the point? Well, as we said, a parable is something that's thrown alongside something else. And In the book of Matthew, we're in the middle of what's called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, So it's chapter 24 and chapter 25 of the book of Matthew. Uh, And it's called that because Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. And uh, the Mount of Olives is directly across from the Temple Mount, uh, where Jesus would later be tried and where the temple was hanging out. And he was just there, and then he walked through a valley, and then he climbed up this mountain where they would grow olives. That's just why it's called Mount Olives. And it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday of Passion Week, which means Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives at the top where he's going to be hanging out just two days later on Thursday, praying farther down the mountain where they would press the olives in the Garden of the Olive Press, known as the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus most likely, there's a good chance he can see it from where he's sitting. Uh, there's also very real possibility uh, that when Jesus left the temple uh, in ch- chapter 23, after teaching and then teaches in chapter 24 and 25 that he would have seen this olive pressed garden on his way up to wherever they're hanging out. And then he passes through this valley called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which in other places in scripture is called the Valley of Judgment where the son of man who's king of all things in a couple days time is gonna be led back through, judged by his own creation in chains and with guards as an enemy of the state. Now, why do I bring that up? Because the parable is about being ready. It's about being prepared. And Jesus, in this last week of his life, is getting ready to do the hardest thing he ever had to do. Joyful and rewarding? Absolutely. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Uncomprehendingly difficult and excruciating. Jesus is getting ready. And he's getting his disciples ready to do one of the hardest things they're gonna ever have to do. Joyful and rewarding when they see their king come back. For sure. Difficult on multiple levels and for some of them excruciating. Yeah. The parable's about being ready. The point is Jesus wants his disciples to always be ready for his return. See, there was external similarity between the two sets of virgins, right? So there's the five wise and the five foolish. But they're all virgins. They're all invited to the party. They all fell asleep. They all had lamps. They all woke up when he was near and they trimmed their lamps to be ready for him to show up. But the crucial difference is that the wise virgins were ready to endure the delay. The wise virgins were ready for the bridegroom to return whenever that might be, even if it wasn't on their timetable. And one of the big things of the parable is the virgin's readiness determines their reward. The virgin's readiness determines their reward because those who are ready get welcomed into the feast and into the kingdom, and those who are not get shut out. Jesus wants us to always be ready for him to come back. All are welcome. All are invited, but only the wise and those who are ready get in. The wise and the foolish, they look the same on the outside. If, if we didn't get some little extra information in the parable, we wouldn't know any different. But only the wise were known by the Lord. Only the wise are known by the Lord. And that's the scary thing about this parable is that we can look the right way, we can be in the right places, around the right people, we can have the right things, but not be ready for Jesus to come back. The scary thing about the passage is we can know a lot about God and never be known by him. That we could have knowledge about him, but no real relationship. That we could have information without intimacy. Jesus is warning against the hypocrisy that was very real for the disciples and has been very real for the last couple thousand years of having everything look right on the outside without having a soul that's not ready to meet its creator, of having everything look right on the outside without having a soul that's been changed and touched by the grace of God. Jesus has already told us it doesn't matter if you gain everything and lose your soul. He's already told us that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, don't be a fool. The invitation into the kingdom's on the table. God made a way for everyone to be welcomed in by making him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But you have to be born again. You don't just get in. He made a way and he made an invitation but you have to be born again. And I think that's what the text is calling us to. It shows us that the readiness reveals the condition of the soul. They look the same on the outside, but their readiness revealed the condition of their soul. Those who were ready were wise and symbolize those who are born again and get welcomed into the kingdom. Those who weren't looked the same but weren't ready, and get shut out in eternal darkness. At the end of the parable, Jesus stops and just says, watch. He says, watch. The Greek word there in verse 13 is gregario. And it's a present active imperative, second person plural. Hang with me, I'm going somewhere. Welcome to class. It's a present active imperative, second person plural. Now, what does that mean? It's present active. It's not past. It's not future. It's going on right now. And it's not passive. It's not happening to you. It's not happening around you. It's something you're doing in the moment. He's calling for constant caution, for deliberate focus every moment without ceasing. When a soldier is put on guard, The expectation is that they would be constantly vigilant, scanning their horizon and their environment to make sure that everyone's safe, and if they're not, to sound the alarm. To not to daydream, to not to go to sleep, but constant vigilance. It's an imperative, which means it's a command from the king. It's not a suggestion, it's not a good idea. It's a command from our king on high. And it's second person plural. In the South, we have this wonderful word called y'all. Jesus isn't looking at John and saying, John, you watch over here by yourself. James, you watch over here by yourself. And Peter, you watch over here by yourself. It's a communal command. Y'all watch together. Like, not you watching, you watch and you watch. Y'all watch. You need each other. You're brothers in arms. Be watchful. It's our king's command for constant caution in community. It's our king's command for constant caution in community. That's what it means to watch. But how does that play out? Okay, I know what it means, but what do I do with that? Four ways we watch. Four ways that we're ready For our king to show up. First, be awake. Be awake. Don't fall asleep. Verse 5 tells us that they all became drowsy and they all fell asleep. In Mark 14, we see the same thing with Peter in verse 37. So we're talking on Tuesday, and then fast forward to Thursday, same place. And Jesus came and found them sleeping, and Jesus said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Stay awake. I think it is far too easy, far too sly, and far too common for us to get lulled to sleep and into drowsiness through the distractions and comforts and routine of our world. I think you and I, on the regular basis, get lulled into spiritual sleep as we wake up we do our thing, we drive, we go to work. If you're going to work, or we wake up and we go into the other room now. We get home, switch clothes, unless we had meetings and we just take off the tie. We eat dinner, binge a TV show or some articles. Then we go to sleep. Then we wake up and do we do it again and again and again and again and again. And the enemy lulls us into spiritual ineffectiveness and spiritual sleep by filling our lives and hearts and minds with a bunch of good things. Work's a good thing from God. Family's a good thing from God. Houses, taking care of the lawn, a lot of good things. But he gets us so wrapped up in the good things that we miss God. We miss God and we miss his kingdom. And in our spiritual slumber, we miss what God is doing in the world around us. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis made the point that, no, 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 Don't, don't try and get the Christian to like commit murder or go have an affair, just get them distracted. Just get them to twiddle their thumbs, to scroll, to just be busy, just make them ineffective. If you try and get them to do something real bad, they're gonna like wake up and like realize what's going on, but just, just take it easy. Just fill their lives with a bunch of good things and watch them just waste away. Watch them miss opportunities to pray for their families, to pray for their neighbors and coworkers. Watch them miss opportunities to proclaim the grace of God into those situations and watch them miss opportunities to pursue Christ and his kingdom all because we've been rocked to sleep by the schemes of the enemy. So like Jesus told to Peter, wake up, wake up, and don't fall asleep. Second, we be watchful by being prayerful. Jesus continues in Mark 14, verse 38, to Peter, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We stay ready and we stay watchful through prayer. You want to be alert to what God is doing in your soul and in the souls of your family and loved ones. You want to be awake to what God's doing in your neighborhood and coworkers and world around you. Then you stay connected to him through prayer. Prayer for your souls and the souls of the people around you. You want to be a force for the kingdom and cause panic and hell. You start praying for your kids and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers by name. And then when I see my neighbor, Dan, he lives to the left of me. And instead of just talking about his truck that's new and shiny and I'm a little bit envious of, hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How's your family? Well, my mom actually just retired and we were at a party a couple weeks ago and she's really struggling with that. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be praying praying about that for you. Is there anything else I can pray about with you? Simple question. Um... Yeah, like Kim and I got this thing going on and it's his wife and okay, cool. Next time I see him a couple days later, hey man, how's your mom doing? I've been, been praying for her. Oh, she's, she's okay. How are, you, how, how are you and Kim doing? I'm praying for y'all too. We're, we're doing okay. Any, anything else i can be praying about? Well, actually there's, and then you, you watch people begin to open up. And then the third time you ask them or the fourth time you ask them, it's not gonna take long. You're gonna enter into a spiritual conversation and be the grace of God of their life in the presence of Jesus. You wanna go on the war path for the kingdom of God? We pray. Jesus' remedy for our sleepiness and drowsiness is prayer. Third, you watch by fasting. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus said, Uh, It's written, Then the disciples of John came to him, Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. You and I give up food for a set amount of time, regularly, regularly. To create in us physical hunger, to cultivate a spiritual hunger. If you are like me, the idea that my life is a vapor and that Jesus can come back any moment—it's not an easy thing to grasp. I am thirty; I got a lot of life left to me, and there is a lot of things that I can find myself longing for to come true that are good things, like my four-month-old turning one, even though I don't really want her to, and then learning to talk and learning to interact and learning the Word of God and going to national parks with her and watching her light up. A lot of good longings that I find in my soul eclipsing a longing for the kingdom. Not that those are bad things. Those are good things. But I don't see a longing for the kingdom of my life. But I read from Jesus that if I would fast and then ask him to put that there, give up food for a time, And then when I get hungry to pray, God, create me a longing for your kingdom and for your return. Help me number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. He'll do it. He'll do it in a heartbeat. Now, it might not be my heartbeat, but he's so willing to answer that prayer. We wanna be a people, you wanna be a people, you wanna be a family who longs for the kingdom of God. Begin to fast and pray that God will put that in you. But be warned, Be warned, you start doing this, you start fasting to long for the kingdom, you start praying for your families and the people that God's put you around, you've woken up and now you're a problem. You put a target on your back because you're no longer lulled to sleep, lulled to spiritual ineffectiveness. You're now on the offensive for the kingdom of Christ and you're gonna be tempted In ways that you haven't been in a long time, and you're gonna find yourself in situations that are hard to deal with, and life's gonna get hard, and cars are gonna break down, and hot water heaters are gonna go out, and work's gonna get awkward. But don't give up, don't lose heart. He's overcome the world. Don't get distracted back in the drowsiness. Don't fall into the temptation and be discredited and discouraged. Fight the good fight. Lastly, we stay awake. We watch by being in community. As we already saw, watch was a communal command. It wasn't just the solo thing that we were meant to do. That we need one another. That every single one of us in this room needs every single one of the rest of us in this room. And we need every single one of them that was in the 9 a.m. service too. It is not man good that man should be alone. You cannot stay awake and you cannot pursue the kingdom of Christ as you were meant to going solo. It won't work. So if you're not in a connection group, we talked about those at the beginning of the service. Pull out your phone, go to, guest services on your way out and say, hey, I need to be in a group. I need to be in a community of believers that have locked arms together for the good of the faith of everybody else. I need to be in a place where I'm known and can be honest and loved and, and challenged and encouraged by the grace of God. I need people around me because I can't do this on my own. Or maybe you've been bobbing around churches for a while or you've been just kind of here in and out and you've not landed somewhere and said no god i'm gonna be here you probably feel like you're not growing it's because you're not rooted you don't have roots anywhere so of course you're not growing there's there's no way that you would find nutrition we don't just take trees and like hang them up in the air they die we plant them and they water and we give them nutrition If you're just bobbing from place to place to place and you're not committing to a people, you're not rooted and you'll never grow as God intended. So join a church. Join a church that loves God, that loves God's word and loves people. I like this one, but I'm a little biased. But here's the thing. I don't care if it's this one because I care more about your soul and your faith and your joy in God than about you just showing up here so if it's not here find another church that loves Jesus that loves people and is going to preach the Bible and then commit to those people and grow there and be there and stay there God made us to need one another which means I need you and you need me and we'll never be what God intended for us without one another God calls us to watch with one another. So be awake, be prayerful, be fasting, and be in community. That's how you watch. That's how you be ready for the return of the king so that when he comes, he'll welcome in the wise and the ready into his kingdom for all eternity. And when he comes, those who are foolish and not ready... Get shut out for all eternity, into a world stripped of the grace and goodness of God. But all are invited. The doors are open. It's not too late. God sent His son to make a way to call us sons and daughters. The invitation is on the table. It's what God did on the cross. Last story. So sixth grade Justin wasn't ready to meet the son. He got roasted. A decade later, with a high school diploma and a college degree, uh, I came up here to Missouri. Kelsey was working uh, at a camp in southern Missouri called Camp Barnabas, and I wanted to see her, uh, but she was a little busy, so I volunteered for a week. And uh, the wiser version of Justin... Brought his hat and wore it. Brought like a hundred plus SPF big bottle. I put it on at eight. I put it on at noon. I put it on at three. And I s- promise I smelled like copper tone for weeks. But I was ready to meet the sun. That week, I was ready to face the sun of Missouri, which is just as hot as it is in Texas and just as brutal. But I walked out of that week not burned. And I walked through that week in joy and not worried about the fact that my skin was flaking. Younger Justin, foolish Justin, not ready to face the sun. Older, a little bit wiser Justin, ready to face the sun. And my deep hope for us, my deep prayer for you this week, is that we would all be men and women of faith who are ready to meet the Son of Man when he comes on clouds and glory. Let's pray. Well, Father, we want to say thank you for the cross. We want to say thank you that you made a way that we all get welcomed in to the kingdom that we don't deserve and to the feast that we don't belong at but you made a way and you invite all of us in. So God, through your spirit, would you wake us up? Wake us up to the war that's raging around around us and will we not fall back asleep? God, if there's someone here who's never trusted in you, who's still on the outside of the kingdom, God, would you wake up their soul that you sent Jesus to be sin though he knew no sin? that we might become the righteousness of God. And would you wake us up to fight for our families, to fight for our neighbors and co-workers? to be a force for your kingdom. God, we need you. We love you. We trust you. We're in Jesus' name, amen.